this is Carrie Peters and Stacey Morgenstern and welcome to Better Than Ever, a Health Coach Institute podcast where we're here to question how we do life because the normal rules no longer apply. Welcome everyone. It's Stacey Morgenstern and Carrie Peters from the Health Coach Institute and today we are talking about a super hot topic, money. Money, 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 money. It's a crazy hot topic. It is, and it sets off all kinds of triggers and anxiety and stress, but it can also set off all kinds of ambition and inspiration and innovation. So I want to dive in, Carrie, and talk about all things money, and I just have a feeling that this is going to be a super juicy, juicy conversation that we've never even had before. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait. Let's get started. Let's do it. So I guess um, I was thinking about this topic last night, and um, I've learned so much about money from you, actually. I feel like you've been one of my mentors on it, because when I met you, you were coaching people around healing their relationship to money. And I'll certainly share some of my own, but I thought I'd love to kick off. What is your relationship with money? How do you think about it these days? And has it always been that way? Well, this is a great question. And this is, this is Carrie. For those of you who haven't gotten to know our voices yet, you will. Um, So 10 years ago, I was 32 and life looked very, very different. Um, I was a professional actress, which I'd been for many years, and working very consistently in, in theater mostly, and then I'd moved to Los Angeles to get a series, um, and what I ended up really doing was a lot of commercials and, of course, more theater, and, um, you know, during my 20s and early 30s, I never had a lot of money. I mean, maybe I made... You know, as a theater actor in Chicago, working all the time, I think at that time, I, I probably made about $25,000 a year, maybe thirty. And if I booked a commercial, maybe I made forty-five dollars or $50,000. That was a great year. I was like, I'm rich. <laughs> um, and, and I really, I lived in a big city. I mean, I lived in Chicago. It was expensive. And I really didn't. I just didn't understand how to budget. I, I didn't, wasn't able to work well within the parameters of a small budget. And I ended up, um, by the time I was in my early, early 30s, I was about $70,000 in debt. And I really thought it was because, of course, I had moved across the country and, you know, there were a lot of components to this. But, you know, at the end of the day, when I looked back at that, that debt, And I looked back at my struggle with living with a low income. I looked back at all of that. And I, you know, for a lot of time, I blamed outside circumstances. Like, oh, you know, it's hard to make money as an actor. And it is. And there are plenty of people who do and and make a really nice living. And why couldn't that have been me? But I didn't see it that way in my 20s and 30s. I really blamed the industry and like, oh, this is such a terrible terrible industry and I can't make any money. 
then when I went to go into coaching and to, I had a day job here and there to support myself while I was getting my education as a coach. And I noticed that I was still, even in a day job, even as a coach, I was still hitting up against this like ceiling of making $50,000 and then having a ton of debt on top of it. Mm -hmm. And the more I experienced that, the more it started dawning on me, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> is this the external world? Is this really, you know, the industry of acting? Is this really, you know, my day? I was an executive assistant as a day job. Is it the world of executive assistants? Is it the world of coaching? Or is it me that I'm the one who's stuck at $50,000? Because for whatever reason, I just don't believe that I can make more or that I deserve to make more. And because coaching is such an amazing journey of self-discovery, when you're learning coaching, you're really learning about yourself so that you can help others. And what I started to learn was, oh, hey, wait a minute. How is it, what do I really feel about making a lot of money, like me doing that? Um, and, and maybe there are some beliefs that are, are driving this sort of, stuck point of $50,000 plus a lot of debt. And the more I dove into it, Stacy, the more I started to realize that I didn't believe that I could make the money. Mm. Being a woman, like that as a woman, I could be the driver of income. This is, you know, I'm sure this was not my family's intention as I was growing up, but one of the models that I saw in my, in my family, in my immediate family and my extended family, was that you would, as the woman, you go to school, but you get married. The man works and you have kids and you stay home. And that was sort of what was modeled. And I think a part of me felt like, well, so it's not okay for the woman to make money. Because if a woman makes money, then how do you have a man with you? Like, that's their job. Do you know what I mean? So uh, well, I, I do. And this is such an interesting um, time period for that. You and I are, are both high earners, meaning I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but that we both make more than our partners. Yes. And what's interesting about that, I, I, I was checking, so I was so hoping that we would get to, to touch upon this thread because it's, it's like the third rail, you know, <laughs> and then the train station. But um, a, in a recent statistic, I, I was looking this up, um, that 40 and 40% 40 of marriages now, women actually make more. Wow. Yeah, so women are taking over as breadwinners, and this is somewhat of a crisis for men and women. It's like, how do we be driven without driving men away, without yeah. having our partners feel emasculated? Yeah. And I know that that was a huge legacy in your family because you, you're the first woman who's really been financially uh, sovereign, so to speak, I believe, right? Yes. You know, my sister before me, she um, was sort of the higher earner in her family with her husband. And she's very ambitious. When she had kids, she wanted to stay home. And that's not a judgment call. That's just what she wanted to do and where she was career-wise. 
there were a lot of different forces at play that had her decide, you know, I'd really like to stay home um, with the kids. And so she ended up doing that and now uh, she's working again. Um, But as far as like the generation that came before us, yeah, there's definitely no example of a woman who was working outside the house or, um, let's put it this way, if they were working, it wasn't like a high earning job um, where like the husband essentially doesn't need to work. Um, that I had not seen. And that's, I, it is not a, a blame on any member of my family or a, a dismissal of all the hard work that they did do Um, whether it was in various jobs or inside the home, it just, in my mind, the way I interpreted it, whether they ever meant this for me or not, was that I I can't be the one that makes the big bucks. It's got to be the guy. And then if it is, and then I further interpreted, well, if it was me that made the big bucks, then what guy is going to want to be with me? So for many, many years throughout my 20s and early 30s, I actually dated guys and stayed in relationships way longer than I, I, I should have because I was afraid that without that guy that I was dating, I wouldn't be able to provide for myself. I wouldn't be able to provide the kind of home that we had lived in or I wouldn't be able to provide the kind of lifestyle um, that we might have had that like... So I was in those relationships, not because I wanted to be in them, it was because I felt like I wouldn't be able to survive if I wasn't. And it's so interesting because, right, that's the princess fairy tale is oh. that we, we need to grow up and find a man to take care of us and uh, not, we, we don't provide for ourselves. And then I see this feminine financial trap of um, married couples where one is the earner and the other one perhaps stays at home with the kids and doesn't see themselves as a part earner of that income and ends up financially paralyzed or disempowered, then I have to ask my partner for every decision, every dollar that I spend and they're in charge and ultimately have the say. Or if I want to leave my leave my partner, like we're no longer really getting along, but I can't, I can't leave because, because I can't support myself and what will that do? And there's this paralyzation that is so disempowering. And I, I think it's, it's really time for um, whether you are both partners working or not, there's time for a new mindset around money and earning and sovereignty. Yeah, I mean, there's no, I can't tell you, you know, we, Stacy, you and I have been so fortunate as we, when we do live training events that we'll have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in a room training with us, people, mostly coaches, um, and so many people who are coming into coaching who are previously a stay-at-home parent, so many will say to us, well, I'm just a stay-at-home mom or I'm just a stay-at-home dad. And I see this more in stay-at-home moms where there's this sense of like, well, I haven't really contributed much. Well, there's really not a lot of value to what I've done financially. And you know, it's interesting because my mom was a stay-at-home mom and I watched her 
I watched her struggle for power inequality in some ways, in terms of decision making, in terms of whether or not she wanted to be in the relationship. Um, her, I could see whether it was true or not. Um, and from my point of view as a child, it looked to me like she felt that she didn't have a lot of options. And she wasn't super happy in the relationship. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm so passionate. When I hear someone say, I'm just a stay-at-home mom, I think to myself, uh, how is it that we devalue ourselves before anyone else gets a chance to? Also, having been a mom for now 15 months, and you know, for I got pregnant when I was 40, so I had my baby when I was almost 41. So I had many, many years of working experience without being a mom. And I can say unequivocally that being a mom is way harder than any job I have ever done <laughs> or ever will do probably. And so there's this sense of like, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Like I, I people yeah, who are home with kids are doing the hardest thing ever. Yeah. And I, you know, I really do get that. Now my husband, Gregory and I have, uh, a unique arrangement. He's a stay-at-home dad, and I'm the breadwinner. And this has sparked so much dialogue between us. And I, I, I see the judgment happen when he he calls himself a homemaker because when he said, "I'm just a stay-at-home dad," it's exactly what you said. It was uh, uh, people cast uh, judgment. It's reductionist. That's all you do is is like, "Oh, you're just a stay-at-home dad" or something like that. And, uh, and it was so fascinating, like people would sort of, uh, oh, and then move on and not know what to say, because what that there's something wrong with that, the, the man should be earning. And so all of these feelings that, that he has had to confront and deal with. And now I love the way that he says it. He says, I am a homemaker. And it's not that he has to attach a bunch of pride to it, but there is a, a confidence and a uh, and like an inspiration in it that his job is valued and important, but that starts with valuing yourself. And so, while we have all this cultural conditioning about what it means to be just a stay-at-home or to to be an earner or whatever, is to to kind of see your contribution as a contribution. And right. to value that. And that starts with valuing yourself. And I guess, Carrie, this makes me um, think about um, just deservability and investing in yourself. And I know when I was starting my career, one of the mistakes that I felt like, money mistakes that I felt like I made was not giving myself permission to invest in myself until some preset of conditions or not giving myself permission to invest in the education that I knew I really wanted. Yeah. So trying to cut corners because it would save, it seems more practical. And what, what I've come back around to now 
is that there are calculated risks. So I guess one of the, the money habits that I'd, I'd love to um, collaborate on in this moment is, for example, let's just say you want to start a career. Now, if you go to get an MBA, that's like $60,000, $70,000, maybe even $100,000. That's a huge investment. But there are other kinds of trainings, like I did a yoga teacher training. I went and became a health coach. Uh, that kind of thing, and let's just let's just even say that it's six or seven thousand dollars. Let's say it's under ten thousand um, dollars to to find out. Okay, what would I need to earn back that investment? And one of the my one of the places where I see people really suffer is a relationship to money that's all based on scarcity, even no matter how much they have. It's like the saying, the wealthy are never wealthy enough. And in order to feel abundant out of scarcity, you have to know what enough is. And most people are operating around money of not knowing what enough is and therefore always maintaining a poverty mindset. So for example, let's just go to this example of, let's say $10,000. Now, most of our health coaching graduates are charging somewhere between $1,000 and $1,500 or even $2,000 per program. But let's be on the more uh, conservative of that. Let's say $1,000 for their 90-day program. So to get to $10,000, that's 10 clients. And that's not a huge amount. Let's just say your, your goal is half that. What you need each month is $5,000. Then that's five clients. And after you're working with a few clients, you're probably going to raise your fees, especially if you're working with us. <laughs> and yeah. how we coach people to work is that as you get more experience, you know how to add more value that warrants the fee. Now, it, and, and, and yeah, exactly. So it's basically, let's just have that. We'll say $5,000. And at $1,000, that's five clients seeing in a month. Now, if you imagined your career, can you imagine seeing five clients in a month? Like, just ask yourself, if you were a health coach, for example, is that doable? And it's like, wow, even just in that consideration, my mindset started to change. So back when I was making those early assessments of how am I going to start a business, knowing how much I need to get started, knowing how much I need to make it back, like knowing what enough is, and creating a plan so that I knew what I was aiming for. Because if you're not aiming for anything, it's almost impossible to feel abundant. Yeah. And it's almost impossible to get others on board. So at the time... I remember um, my, my husband and I do collaborate around finances. So when I was saying to him that I wanted to invest in my education, now I was still paying off my college debt uh, and a whole crazy story of um, when I was a little kid and my dad had gone completely bankrupt. We lost the house, the cars, the everything. Bigger story for another time. But I remember when I was wanting to invest in my education, if I had gone to my husband and said like, 
uh, I don't, I, I, I want to go to this school and, um, it costs money. I don't, I don't know if this is a smart decision. If I had taken whatever that scarcity stance is, how much confidence do you think he would have had in me versus going to him and saying, well, you know, the program that I most want is, let's just say it's $5,000. The program that I'm like, I want that program. I have looked at these other ones and they're all different prices, but the one that I want is like that one. That's the one I resonate with. And it's a little more than the others, but it's $5,000. I've determined that I need five clients to uh, earn back that investment. And the question I was sitting with is, am I going to get more from the program than just that? So even if I didn't build a career at this, although I intended to, even if I didn't build a career, would I get value that would serve me for life beyond my investment? And without question, it was, hell yeah, absolutely. And when I went to Gregory with that proposition, it's like clear, this is how much it is. This is how much I need to earn it back. And this is the, the side benefits that I also think are, are, are of value here, worthwhile of the investment. It was irresistible. He's like, absolutely, I wholeheartedly support you. I think there's, you know, one more piece in that, Stacey, where, you know, when I think to myself of going, well, I only need five clients to earn the investment back. And I can, I, I, I think it's a fantastic way to connect with a partner or spouse um, on support to get their support in, in moving forward. And it also comes down to, on a personal level, believing in your power to earn. Mm. And, and to do that, uh, to believe in your power to earn outside of, you know, especially if you're someone who's used to earning, like getting a paycheck from a company or an organization or whatever and realizing like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the one generating that revenue. It's actually really not, I mean, you're the one generating revenue or generating your paycheck. You're working for it. It's just that an outside source is giving it to you. When, if you're building your own coaching business, now you may, of course, their coaches work for other people all the time. You don't have to build your own business to be a coach. But if you want to do that, then there is a shift there where you're becoming, you're the one someone's handing a check to you <laughs> and you're determining how much is on the check. And that's just a shift. And it requires us to explore, do I believe in my power to earn? Do I mm. believe if I have a skill set and value that I bring um, that I can, I can earn that money? And I think there's, a, I think the reason that we struggle sometimes with spouses and significant others and partners that we have, you know, that we are joined together in money and financials is because there's a part of us that's not believing in that. Mm. So we go to our spouse or a partner and we say, I really want to do X, Y, Z. And we're really sort of looking to the spouse or the partner for permission and validation instead of just support. Like in the example that you just gave, um, that example is a person going to a spouse or a partner asking for support. I think yeah. oftentimes we go to a spouse or a partner 
not confident ourselves um, and not believing really in ourselves and hoping that they will not only say yes to the investment, but they'll actually bolster our belief in ourselves and sort of fill that void that we have inside. And sometimes a partner does. And they're like, great, you're amazing. You're better than you think you are. And sometimes the partner doesn't. And it's like, well, there has to be a cheaper way. Have you really researched that? And maybe they're very cynical or maybe they're not interested. Or well, I think this is why I come back to having a plan. Uh, there's, there's so many things you're reminding me of. But one is when I was a teenager and I asked my parents, can I go to Melissa's house for a sleepover? If I kind of asked them in that way, or maybe it was even a less confident voice, like, can I go to Melissa's house for a sleepover? It's a little bit like that. There's almost an element of shame in it. Yes, exactly. Uh, like, I'm already presupposing I'm going to get in trouble somehow. And when I had that attitude, my parents were always suspicious. Who's going to be there? Is her, are her parents going to be there? Who's driving? You know, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, when I went to them with a plan and my own self-generated confidence, I'm, hey, Melissa's having a sleepover on Saturday. Four of us are sleeping over. Her parents are setting up a movie for us. Okay, great. See ya. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, they just had confidence. So there, there's a stance of of... of and this is, oh gosh, it's so amazing. I mean, this is where we all get to grow up and know our worth from within. And uh, it, it really is time for all of us to take charge of our relationship to money. And money is a tool. It can be great access to, to freedom and impact and if those are the things that you want if you want freedom if you want impact if you want security if you want whatever it is i can have more freedom this is like a little mantra for us it's like i can have more freedom if i choose to learn how to be in relationship with money and carrie um, I was just thinking there was, uh, oh, I know what it was. You were talking about getting a paycheck. And as I said in the beginning of this call, Carrie has been one of my mentors for building healthy money habits in a really holistic perspective from where you're at. And when we first started our business, we didn't have money. But Carrie had a money practice, um, which was the necessity to pay yourself, meaning actually get, give yourself a check. So if you're working for somebody else, you get a check maybe every two weeks or every month. And there's something about receiving that and depositing it. And when you start a business for yourself, that kind of goes out the window. You take some money when there's money and then there's not money or you have to pay some an employee or you have to pay a vendor uh, or whatever it is. And sometimes you forget to pay yourself unless there's just quote unquote extra. 
And that's really um, backwards and unpredictable and makes it, makes it kind of hard to, to build a really holistic, healthy relationship to money. So even if it's $1, this is what Carrie taught me, even if it's $1, we will pay ourselves $1. Just to recognize that we are moving in this direction and to get in the practice of receiving and of being paid. Carrie, is there more you'd want to say on that? Because I feel like this could also apply to building a fund for yourself to finance your education and continued personal growth. A hundred percent. And this is part of, like you were saying, having a plan. So the other thing that I think is important about paying yourself is that you have to have, especially when you're starting out, you have to have separate bank accounts. So you have to have a bank account that is for your business. You may not have like an official LLC and a new tax ID number. You don't, you don't need that. Oh my God, that sounds scary. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You don't need to go down that road. All you, you can simply get a second checking account. um, And you, you designate one checking account is for your business and the training and everything that has to do with that. And then your other checking account is for your personal uh, life. And so when you have that separate checking account, then you can be putting everything that you earn goes in there. And eventually everything that you are investing in is going to come out of there. So that can even be separate. If you are in a situation where you have family finances, that's one way to start separating it um, and saying, okay, this particular checking account is for my business only. Um, and then when you pay yourself, when you start to pay yourself, you're choosing a, a, a consistent day of the month, every month, whether it's every other week, once a month, whatever it is, it's always consistent. And you are literally, if you like, you can physically write a check from your business account to your personal account. You could also do an online transfer. It, you know, it depends on what feels more real for you. Um, but that is incredibly important to have that separate account because otherwise in our minds, it feels like, oh, well, it's, it's still too entwined with our personal finances. And when I was building my business, I was dating someone, but I, we didn't share money. So my finances were my own. Um, but it really wasn't until I separated my personal and business checking accounts that I started to see like, okay, this is for real. And I didn't like having a business account that was empty. And it really motivated me to say, all right, what is it that I need to do to be, um, you know, driving income into this business? Um, so that's a, a huge piece. And, and, and the other thing in terms of, you know, Stacey, when you started this podcast, you asked me, you know, what's my relationship to money now? My, I, I really feel like I agree with you that money is a tool and more than that, money is your ally. Mm. Money is not something that wants bad things for you. Money is a neutral quantity. Like if you think about a knife, a knife um, can be good or bad, depending how it's used. It can be really good if you're you know, using it to chop up vegetables to make a lovely dinner for your family. It could be bad if you stab all your family members. <laughs> <laughs> 
So let's make you... sure that the, those, those good and bad categories are not confused and mixed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So money is the same. It's a neutral thing, like a knife. We just, we put perceptions on it and stories on it. And so what would it be like if money was your friend, your ally, your partner in helping you create the life you want? You know, one of the things, one of my favorite, favorite quotes about money is from a comedian, Chris Rock. Um, and he says, wealth is not about having a lot of money. It's about having a lot of options. Mm. And at the end of the day, you know, this is... If I think about Stacy, you know, we both have daughters and I think about, well, what, what do I want to teach my daughter about money? And what I want to teach her is that money is something that always gives you options and you always want to have options. Every, everything that we want, all the different kinds of freedom that we want to experience in our careers, in our lives, money funds that. Money funds freedom. And so there's this sense of being able to look at any other stories that you might have around money. Like if, if I want money, I'm greedy. People who have money are jerks. If I make money, I'm going to become somebody I don't want to become. I'll be one of them, quote unquote. What about if I spend it, it will run out? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, well, something interesting on that is... What do you think, Carrie, in, in terms of people who have money but are afraid to spend it? That doesn't mean you have a lot of money. I'm not talking about that. But that you do have some. And there's this balance between saving and spending because I do believe that money is energy and money likes to move. And it can get stagnant if it sits too long. And that you actually open yourself to receiving more of it when you allow it to move. What do you think of that? Because it's a balance. There is a, a, as, as a saving, but there's also a moving. I agree. Well, the fact is when it comes to an, a new career, that's going to take investment. And period, end of story. If, if, if you were to look up a training that costs you $500 and tells you you're going to make, you know, you're gonna have a new career for that'll make you $100,000 a year. Of course, that's not accurate. Like we all know that you don't get something for nothing. Um, and you mentioned the cost of an MBA earlier. I mean, people are investing in a college education left and right. Sometimes they're coming away from that education not able to get a job. Um, so I'm not saying that it has to be a $60,000 investment or that you have to go to college. What you do have to do is set your mind to the idea that it is going to take investment. Um, that's just nobody's, that's not a scam. It's not, I mean, that's just what it is. It's the reality of starting a new career. So, um, when it comes to saving versus spending, Everybody has a different threshold and everybody's at a different place in their lives. Everybody has a different level of responsibility. Some people are single and in their 20s. Some people are you know, in their 40s and have five kids. So it's all going to depend on what's right for you and your, your situation. But the criteria to evaluate what's right for you, um, I think comes down to knowing that you're making a decision from a place of fear or from a place of belief. Like 
there are going to be times when you are stretching yourself financially. That is true, um, for sure. And there are times when you're, it's just not going to be, like there's so many things happening in your life that it's not a good time to make an investment. So it, there's, but there has to be a way for you to be able to observe your own thinking about something. Because often it's very easy for us to want something and want to go forward into a training or into a career to be afraid and to use money as an excuse. Oh, boom. Right. We call it, I call it the money shield. Like we just put it up as a shield in front of us. Like, oh, I can't do what I really want to do because of money. And that may or may not be a true statement. Right. And if it is true, there are actually things that we can choose to do to create the money so that we can go in the direction that we want to go. Ultimately, when when we're using money as an excuse, we're disempowering ourselves and disempowering money. Mm. Oh my goodness. I, I mean that, that definitely really hits home. Um, and two practices that come to mind, which we lightly touched on, but one is, uh, let's just say you're, whether you're a stay at home parent or you're getting out of debt and you want to start over in your career to start a fund for yourself. So even if you, if it really doesn't make sense right now, for you to put something else in your credit card or whatever it is like you, again, it's like Carrie's saying, you have to know your own thresholds. Um, but then to start paving the way for that to be different. Otherwise in three months, six months or a year from now or 10 years from now, you're in exactly the same place, not having changed anything. So even if it's $5 a month, is to start putting that away to create more options for yourself. I think that's what I heard you saying, Carrie. Um, Absolutely. You, you, here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to say, when I have... Yes, you'll never have it. Then I'll create the account. It, it doesn't work that way. You have to create the container first, and then the money fills the container. So if you are someone who is saying, okay, in the next six months, I want to invest in X training, then you want to create that account now and start putting the money in now so that six months from now you have the money's there and it's not six months doesn't come and then you go, Oh no, but I don't have the money. I guess I can't move forward. That is really just, that's a money shield. That's like using money as an excuse to not have to face fear and nervousness about moving forward into what it is that you you really want. Yeah, I love that question, just presencing it again, of where is money a shield right. preventing you or slowing you down from going forward into your greatness and going forward into what you really want. Uh, and the second thing, Carrie, is I was shocked. Another thing that I learned from you in Money Habits is that we have, most of us, tend to have unclaimed money sitting all around us totally and i was shocked to realize that i had three pairs of zappos shoes sitting in my garage because you have that 365 day guarantee of sending them back so it's like i'll always get to that later yeah right (laughs) never return them and there was seven hundred dollars 
sitting in my garage, totally unclaimed, let alone other things that checks I hadn't cashed because, you know, I'm terrible with that. And, or I was, I'm not anymore. My money practices are getting so much better. <laughs> well, what about your credit card statement? You know, if, we're, if you're someone who does not review your credit card statement every time you get it, there could be recurring charges on there for things, products, services that you don't use anymore. Um, but you've never had canceled because you're not looking at your statement. So there could be hundreds of dollars that you could have every month that you are sitting in your credit card statement. You know, one of the things that I think about when I want to invest in something, Stacy, is I think, you know, I'm probably spending this money anyway. So where is it being spent that I'm not paying attention to? And looking at my statements and looking at my budget and going, where is this money sitting in my life right now? Because it probably can you just repeat that little segment again? Because as we near completion, that feels like a super important takeaway. So even even to this day, when I look to invest in a training or I look to invest in something that's going to enrich my life or my career, I think to myself, you know what? I'm probably already spending this money anyway. So where is it? <laughs> where is it? And I look in my credit card statements, I look in my budget, I look in my spending and go, where are places where this money that I want for this training is going, but to somewhere else that is not as important to me? Is it going into cable, that old dinosaur of a, <laughs> of a television service provider? Is it going into a gym membership that I'm just not using anymore? Is it going into... Um, some sort of recurring something or other that I just forgot to cancel and they, you know, keep billing me every month because of course that was what I agreed to. So well, there, there may be hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars that I can find in my own budget um, that I can reroute out to where I want it to go. Well, I mean, that, that is such an empowering mindset. I really want to thank you for that one because there's a there's a growing up in 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 taking on that mentality i remember feeling poverty stricken like just never enough money don't have any money and i used to beat myself up about it want to curl up into a little ball and to stop shining my light and just do a little bit of a poor me i don't get to have you know, the, the, the special things in life. I don't get to do what I want. I don't get to be who I want. And to just be in this little ball of hopeless, helpless, victim-y uh, relationship with money. And uh, what I'm hearing, just even in that simple practice, is to realize that I'm probably already spending the money and is it going where I want it to go? Mm -hmm. And there's something so mature about that. There's a part of my inner little girl who still wants to be saved and rescued that goes like, man, shut up, Carrie. Don't tell me that I can, you know, like, no, it's not that way. You don't know. I don't get to have what I want. There's some part who still wants to protest that I don't get to have that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. That's where we use money to prove that we don't get to have what we want, or we use money to prove that we don't get to relax. Ugh. We don't get to take time off. We don't get to, you know, it's, it's, um, it's funny. We, we will use money to keep our habits in place. Hmm. Uh, our, our habits of thought, our habits of being. Basically and, of playing small. Yeah. 
Yeah. And when someone offers you another option, I, I totally have had that experience too, where I've said like, I don't want your solution. I want my problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it, it's, in some ways it takes courage to really stand up and say, I'm the one in charge of my destiny here. Yeah. And I get to make yep. decisions about it. And one of the things that I think particularly women to bring it back around to uh, in 40% of marriages, women make more women are taking over as breadwinners um, and that 60 to 75% of daily spending is actually managed by women. So as earning goes up for women, and I, I don't mean to exclude men from this, it's just that we're seeing a big change for all of us, is that we're going to, over the next generation, like we're really going to have to learn how to have a healthy relationship to money and how to manage wealth. Um, a totally different practice. And, and I, I love that uh, in the Become a Health Coach training, we get to talk so much about relationship to money and what, what even your legacy, like what were you taught about money? If you were a man, what were you taught about money? If you were a woman, what you were taught? I know my dad, even when he was in bankruptcy, he was always generous and always trusted that it would work out. Meanwhile, my mom, never enough. Yeah. So it was like, I feel, I feel pulled in, in both ways uh, and, and from my childhood, but have gotten a chance to work on all of that. So I just love that we get to have this conversation that I think is such a loaded topic yeah. that most people don't talk about money. And I, yeah. uh, I even love to do that with my friends. Like I am curious. I'm so intrigued that this is such a taboo topic. Well, here, and, and, and we'll complete with this, that when it comes to coach trainings, as if you're someone who is researching coach trainings, it is imperative that the coach training that you take helps you work on money mindset and coaches you through your relationship to money and your beliefs around money. Because the truth is, is that when you are working coach, and you're, you're making $100,000 or $200,000 or even $50,000. The fact is, and this is something I never realized, but that every single client you work with, you're going to have a conversation about money with that client. And maybe more than once. Because you're going to be telling them the investment in your program. You're going to be telling them how their payment plan works. You're going to be talking, dealing with decline payments here and there. You're going to be um, dealing with clients renewing with you program after program. So you're going to be um, inviting clients into higher level programs or different kinds. You're always going to be having money conversations pretty much every single day of your career. And so for money and the discussion around money and the coaching around money not to be part of your training is insane because it is such an important um, real world skill that you're going to have to have uh, that I, I would strongly encourage you to add to your list of must haves in a coach training is that there's a piece around money so that when you're out in the real world and you're starting to be paid as a coach and you're working and you're making it happen, that this doesn't become a major source of conflict and confusion and stuckness for you. 
Um, we've seen that happen to so many coaches and we don't want that to happen to you. And that certainly does not have to be scary. I, I think no. Carrie, what I love about your teachings around money is that there's a lot of play. There's a lot of relaxation with getting responsible and uh, around money. I think a lot of us, I know I have always been really intimidated by that conversation, shied away from it. Like, I just, yeah, uh, numbers, math, and, uh, spreadsheets. I feel allergic to all those kinds of things. And, uh, and how empowering it, it has been to have a, um, be able to, to have a light, it's deep, but light and engaged conversation around money and money practices. And as a, as a mother, a parent, what I, uh, and what I want to pass on to, to my daughter, um, this is so, so rich, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but a bunch. She's here all night, ladies and gentlemen, tip your waiters. <laughs> so with that, I'm so curious. I wonder what people will be taking away from this call. I, I hope it was enriching. I, I hope it was very, I hope it was wealthing. <laughs> Thanks everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Better Than Ever, a Health Coach Institute podcast. For more information on our programs, please go to www.healthcoachinstitute.com. Comment and share if you like what you hear. 